0: Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Information Playground. I'm Ron Bush. I'm your host. I own Ron Bush Consulting. You can check us out at ronbushconsulting.com. We're a cybersecurity consultancy. Um, you can check out my book, "Staying Safe in a Very Dangerous World." Um, think before you click. It's available on Amazon. Uh, and by all means, uh, check us. Check out WVLP. We're broadcasting from there on Monday mornings from eight to nine. Friday afternoons from one to two, and they are located in Valparaiso, Indiana. So if you're local, it's 103.1 on your FM dial. If you're streaming, you can be any place in the world and do that, go to wvlp.org. They're a great radio station, um, great to work with, and, uh, and I hope you give them a, a heads up or a chance to, uh, to take a look at their website. Um, we've got a, a great guest with us today. Oh, I should mention we're available on podcast, any of the platforms or YouTube uh, on demand. So the, channels, the channel name is uh, The Information Playground. So our great guest today is uh, Larry Young. He's the owner of Boiling Frog Development. He's a business development strategist and sales training org- organization consultant. He's a keynote speaker and he's author of Walk the Sales Plank. Um, uh, this is part three of what may be a four part, uh, we'll see how it goes. A four part, uh, series and it's on, on finding the, the dream voice or the voice of your dream client. I kind of messed that up. Defining the sound of your dream client's voice is yeah. what we titled it. And, uh, and we, we had a great conversation on the last two parts, um, Larry, let's let's pick it up. We talked about three ways. uh, You called them bubbles. Yeah. Start us there, just to to (laughs) kind of recap what we talked about and pick up from that. that.
1: Yeah, yeah. As I said last time, Rod, that that I need to come up with a better name than bubbles. It's not really, uh, it's not really, uh, yeah, pop a bubble. But uh, uh, yeah, if you get if you get a chance to listen to part one and two, that'll make more sense. But then recap when we're building the business development strategy and you've figured out what your strategic plan is and then you've analyzed your competitive analysis within the industry, now it's time to start laying out the business development strategy. And what I told your listeners last time is what I've come up with the model, again, the three bubbles. And inside the first bubble is finding the sound of your dream client's voice, which is kind of what we're primarily focused on in this segment. And it really is the idea of understanding what that client wants, your dream client wants, and then being able to backfill and ask whether I can deliver that and and be able to be competitive at that thing. So you're going out looking and then you're developing or meeting that need, which is kind of classic in that sense. The second bubble is finding the sound of your voice. And we used examples like Tesla and Netflix last time, Ron, if you remember, where we're really talking about, I'm coming to market with something different, better mousetrap, a new mousetrap, and I'm just gonna hit it high speed. And both of those value plays, both those bubbles, take a different type of business development strategy. And then the third bubble, which we didn't touch much on, is really the cost leadership. So I'm just gonna be the low cost provider of the service or product that I offer, and that's where I'm gonna play. And those are the three bubbles that you start to kind of build the direction of your business development strategy.
0: Excellent. Is one uh, one of the ways better or worse?
1: No, no. The um, the thing that and I mentioned this to your listeners last time is that you, it's not so much that one is better; it's that you have to pick one, because the the reality is, I think I, I quoted that almost eighty percent of the organizations that I walk into think they're one and they're they're the other. So they, they think that they're going with the sound of their voice. Oh, I'm good at customer service. I'm good at this. This is my competitive advantage. And then the reality is they're really not going to the market with that or the client doesn't really even care about that. And so what's most important is pick one and build the infrastructure, the sales team, the sales process, and the objectives around that. That's key.
0: What are some of the mistakes I can see? I can see a, a probably a tendency to want to blend the three, yeah. Or at least blend two out of the three. Um, what What are other mistakes? What are Let's go through. What can people take that and walk? Yeah, away and mess it up. Yeah,
1: that's a, that's very astute. You know, the blending of it. I think last time we talked about you know ideas like Southwest and Tesla and those. And so when you when you when we reference in a in a kind of a format like this, big companies you can almost start to argue which way they actually do. In the in the mom and pops, the small companies, to all the way to the middle market, the, the, the definition of the strategy is more defined. What ends up happening is when you start to kind of select that, there's pitfalls that will happen. There's mistakes that get made. So when you think about uh, finding the sound of your dream client's voice, again, meaning that I'm going to go out and find out what's important. Some of the mistakes I see is that Firms will go that way. They think that's important, but they haven't really taken the time to validate whether that really is important. So I'm gonna I just keep using the example. I'm gonna deliver top-notch customer service. Well, it's not that a firm doesn't care, but it might not be the thing that makes their decision tip over towards you. Mm-hmm. Or you develop some type of product that's like, yeah, it really doesn't do anything. They don't enjoy the mouth, the new mousetrap, if you will. The second thing is that they can't deliver. So the mouth is moving, but they can't really deliver on what that that client wants, they kind of want to be and kind of do that. And then the third that I see is then you don't have the sales acumen. We had talked about it last time, the disconnect between what I think my dream client wants and I don't have salespeople that can deliver. So that's one of the keys in that bubble. The second bubble, which is the sound of your voice or excuse me, the sound of your voice is meaning that I'm leading out with something that I think is important, I'm gonna create headway. So we use Tesla as an example, right? So they decided they wanted to be the biggest car maker. They went out and they're making electric vehicles as an example, but what if nobody cared, right? So one of the mistakes that we make is that you lead with something, Ron, that the client just doesn't care or that you can't prove that it really makes a difference in their life because it's something new. So that's one of the mistakes. And then the last one on cost is that, frankly, you're just not the lowest cost. You don't have the infrastructure, the value chain, things of that nature to be able to drive lowest cost. Those are the pitfalls that generally I see.
0: So we talked about this last time, and and I appreciate the getting us up to speed here. Being unique and helping the organizations you work with to understand the minds of the decision makers that you call on, Uh, is is vital part of this is a vital part of this Uh, give us an example
1: of 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 finding uh the decision maker's mind is that what you're asking right right yeah so um i I, you had asked me you put me on the spot then you said what was the thing that i did that, that was so different than everyone else and i said that i because when we finally get to the point where we're selecting a strategy What I'm more interested in is what is the mind of the decision maker? How do they like to be sold to, right? So I'll give you a a funny story to make this point. You asked for an example. So when I was in the commercial banking world for a long time, you know, we're out prospecting, we're out talking to other banks, customers, and our job is to grow market share. And what I would find is that, uh, Ron, we would go out and we would present an idea that was different than they were getting at their bank. So we were leading with kind of the sound of our voice in that we've got something to offer you that is unique that you're not currently getting, or there's a problem that's happening and we're here to kind of solve that. And what I would find is that we would go out and do this and then they would turn around and they'd thank us for the time. They'd say they're going to think about it and then they pick up the phone within a day and they call their incumbent bank and they implement that product or something very similar to it. Yeah. And I remember saying to my team several times, I'm like, why are we making our competitors richer? <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, we, we we come up with these ideas. So so here's an example, Ron, where we had identified a strategy. We knew what our competitive advantage was. I mean, we talked about this on your last show and we had, Identified the dream clients, and we proposed the thing. We did everything that we've talked about today, and they'd still go to the bank. They still go to the bank that they're with. So about twelve years ago, I'm I'm frustrated with this, and I, what I did, and it's probably one of the deeper analysis, and I'll share this with um, with your listeners is I started to kind of really pay very close attention to why we were losing these sales. What was it that we were doing in the sales pitch or the sales process? Because we, we had the right clients. You couldn't dispute everything up to that point. And so I started cataloging and started keeping track of this. And then what my sales staff didn't know is I would ask us to do like little tweaks in the sales presentation to start figuring out what would work. And I did this over about a dozen years. And I found three things and this will help anybody that's listening to help you in your, in, in your business. But this is kind it of the, is. yeah, this is just kind of the a simple idea of getting into the mind of the decision maker. So when you think about it, there's three things. The first is, is that you have to phrase things. There's more power in phrasing things in the form of a loss than there is a gain. So if you think about, um, uh, and there's research to back this up, but I think it's called like loss aversion or risk aversion. Well, here's the idea, Ron, is that people, when they're buying something, are more apt to buy something when it's a protection of a loss than it is the 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 uh, uh, gain. So I'll give you a, a deeper example, Ron. For you, let's say I got a quarter here, and I'm I say, Ron, I'm going to flip the quarter. You choose heads or tails. And so, what would you choose? If you if I'm going to flip a quarter, and I say heads. What would you choose? Heads. heads. All right. So so here's here's the bet that we're going to do. If you win. I'm going to pay you $150 if it's a heads, if it's a tails, you owe me hundred dollars. So my question is, and be honest with your listeners, would you take that bet today? No, 150. (laughs) dollars Okay. All right. So let's, let's do this again. So you pick heads again. And now I tell you, Ron, if you're wrong, you're going to lose the same hundred dollars. But if you win, it's two grand. Do you take the chance now?
0: You know, actually, not being much of a better, I'd probably say no to that as well. I don't okay. want to lose a
1: hundred bucks. But we could keep going, couldn't we, to a point where you would say yes. Like, you'd say, all right, I'm going to take a chance. So, But, but it, what it shows, and, and you're a classic example of it, and, and so am I, is the fact that we fear loss yeah. more than we fear the loss of gain. Now, I'll tell you a story when I'm done with this to bring this all together for your listeners. The second thing that I learned is the quicker that the time bound, the quicker the urgency that we put on someone, uh, uh, a prospect to make a decision or prospective client, the more apt they are to go to the incumbent the more apt they are to go to the incumbent. And and it's actually counterintuitive to what we've been taught for years, Ron, we've been taught like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta close a sale and I gotta ask for it in ink right now, you know, get it off the street. And there's some truth to that, but sometimes that's a little bit more of a consumer tactic than a B2B tactic. So just bear with me. And then the third thing, which is probably the most powerful and this will make an impact in your business is that, if you have multiple offerings, multiple, excuse me, multiple solutions to the problem you're trying to fix, it actually plays in your favor. Single solutions actually play towards the incumbent person, the incumbent bank or the incumbent firm, whoever you're competing against. So let's, let's pull all this together. We used to in the banking world we would bring treasury management reps out. You know they were partners, and so they would they were experts at how to move money and protect money. And you'll kind of like this story, given the fact with security. But one of the things that they would do is they would always pitch products and services that prevented fraud, in a in a customer's business. So think about this, Ron. Here was the tactic. The tactic a lot of times with some of these reps were, hey, Ron. Um, you're in the let's just say that you're you own a manufacturing company. And so, Ron, in the manufacturing industry right now, fraud is on the rise. The average fraud loss is about seventy-eight hundred dollars for a firm like yours. In fact, that fraud is so secretive that it could be happening right now while we're speaking. So, what I would do, I would recommend for you is that we immediately implement product A so that you can protect yourself against fraud. Now that all those things aligned towards the incumbent bank because fear, I got to do it right away. It's a loss and there's only one solution. That's why they were picking up the phone and they were calling their bank and saying, is this real? Can you do anything to protect me? Because they're scared, right? They're scared, you know, this, and, and, and so they would just do it with them. So what we did is we reversed that. Now we still use the loss because the loss is still a real it's a, it's proven but what we would do is we would frame it somewhat in the opposite way so ron what it would be is ron you know in the manufacturing world fraud is on the rise the average ticket for fraud is about seventy eight hundred dollars what we're doing with our with our best clients and, and pr- prospective clients like you is over the next two to three weeks we're helping you sort sort through a multitude of solutions These solutions can be tailored for your business, but each of them have pros and cons. What my job is to do is to help you sort through that to find the most efficient and the most effective way to protect your business against fraud. That's excellent. It is excellent. And what we found is that when we positioned our, our sales strategy and our sales tactics towards, and this is just one simple example, that we found that our sales jumped through the roof. Because And here's what I found, and it really wasn't necessarily research driven, other than I put a lot of work into this. What I found was that I felt is that the business owners now saw me as a trusted advisor. I wasn't jamming something and creating fear and saying you have to do it now. Now I can say, look, because what, what research does tell us is that when you're trying to sort through a multiple of issues or multiple of solutions, a lot of times we look for an expert. So think about the last time. I mean, I was just the other day, I was into you know Best Buy and you know, okay, I, I can figure out for myself whether I want a laptop, a desktop or, or what I want. That's not overly hard and I can search the internet, right? But then when I get into Best Buy and there's 70 of them sitting there, look, I'm turning around looking for somebody half my age mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that, that can do what? And the, the what is help me sort through all of the variables. And when you position yourselves like that, it, is, it, it can have a profound effect. And that's why I fell in love with 12 years ago and, and other things of, of really looking at the mind of the decision maker and finding out what are the things that actually works from their perspective, rather than just some fancy sales pitch that we think is going to work.
0: You know, that's, that's extremely insightful. I hadn't thought about it. I've worked on what differentiates me from, from other people in my business. And one of the things that I felt that makes the difference is I don't sell, I see competitors put their clients with this product or that product or that product. And I know that that's their only arrow in their quiver for that particular service, antivirus. They, they have uh, ABC antivirus, that's the only one they sell. So no matter what issue you have, what yeah. situation you have, that's what you're gonna get for an, an AV, an antivirus. I don't do that. I represent dozens of companies for services that I don't offer specifically, like risk assessments. That's a tailor-made plan that's going to look at what your needs are and then let's try to cover those needs. If I don't offer that service, I can always point you to some, somebody who does, like pen testing, I mentioned that right. in the last part. Uh, you can go to that pen tester. You can contract them through me. I can work a, a variety of ways. But the point is that everything is tailor-made or custom customized to you.
1: Yeah. What do
0: you need? It's yeah. You don't need this. Well, let's not do that. You do need something over this. Well, there's, there's three good companies that do that. Here's what the three are. If I provide it, fine. If I don't provide it, somebody else does. And I know somebody else who does. Yeah, that's right and so uh, it's just a, it's just a matter of doing what's best for the client and i don't find that i'm i'm more familiar with cybersecurity than i am any other industry on this side of the table i don't find other people that do that they've got certain companies they sell it and maybe that's true across you know manufacturing or anywhere else you know this is what i got this is what i'm going to sell i don't work that way yeah i didn't realize how valuable that was yeah. until now. And as a matter of fact, I may p- replay this recording just so I can get down your verbiage. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, the I- verbiage, you know, the, 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 the thing that you have to remember is that when you're coming from the decision maker standpoint, you know, uh, then, then you can backfill everything in there. It doesn't mean that your competitive advantage doesn't, ch- the, that changes because you look at the decision. That, that doesn't really matter. It really is kind of from that competitive advantage and in the infrastructure that 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 piece between that and the actual sale is what is is a little more malleable, if you will, depending on how you look at the decision maker. So in, in your company or any company, if, if you said, well, here's what we're going to go to, here's what we're going to stand for. And that type of thing. And I, the next question I would ask is then tell me a little bit more about your dream client. Like what is the profile of a dream client and if you said well it's it's the mom and pops right it's mom and pop and maybe two or three employees on there then we would deploy a sales strategy that is different than if your answer was look i deal with you know uh, companies that are four or 500 million in revenue you know 70 80 90 people maybe there's a procurement area as we kind of talked on one of your last shows uh, that takes a whole different strategy and and just to just to help your listeners if they fall in that category that little role play that we had is really more indicative of a of a procurement area where you're trying to be more collaborative with them or maybe let you have a good c suite or something like that and that's really what you're trying to do where your approach would be different from mom and pop mm-hmm. sort of yeah excellent yeah
0: you know i Again, I, you know, where I look, I look for an organization. It can be for-profit, not-for-profit. It can be, um, I've, I've had municipal government clients. Um, it can be, uh, you know, it can literally be any industry. It can be any size. The difference for me and the and the client that I look for, the voice that I look for is the one that, a is realistic i can't tell you how many how many people i encounter whether i'm doing employee training and we're talking about individuals or i'm doing uh, public speaking and i'm talking to a number of clients uh, or or i'm doing uh, at an association and there's all the members of that association i can't tell you how many people believe that it won't be them and maybe that's maybe that's how most people are around the planet, or at least here in America. I, I, life insurance tell you, uh, salesman will tell you that you know this guy's going to be the first one that first one, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, yep. Yep. You just, I remember uh, uh, one one time saying, "For me to buy life insurance, I'm betting up with the insurance company." Well, yeah, you are because you you're, you're going to die eventually. Everybody yep. is. Yeah. There's only one way out of here, and that's not alive. Yeah, And so it, it's that deniability seems to be inherent. So when I'm talking or I'm looking for a, a, a prospected client, I'm looking for that dream voice. I'm looking for someone who's realistic. You know, chances are you've already been hacked. And if you're, if you're not being hacked right now, you will be because, uh, um, oh, the uh, former FBI director, uh, Robert Mueller, had it right. There's only two kinds of businesses in America: ones that have been hacked and ones that will be. That's yeah. where we're at. Yeah. So the it's that reasonableness that I don't find everywhere um, that that I look for, and and the only way I've learned I've found to identify that is to be able to talk to them, and that means getting the appointment. That means getting someone to sit down and, you know, I'm I don't want to say I don't have a sense of humor, but but I can be pretty serious, yeah, yeah, and and straightforward. And I need someone to talk back to me that same way.
1: Yeah, the the interesting part about your business, and this is not uncommon. So so you're not necessarily selling a, a, a widget, or you're you're not selling um, furniture, as an example, where somebody needs. Or better yet, let's stay in professional services, like an accountant. You take as an example. I need an accountant every year, right? So I know that I need, and that accountant has to mark market their business different than others. Mm-hmm. Whereas you, you're more of um, you're more of kind of a like an event type uh, um, business in the fact that you're trying to sell to people something that they don't know that they need. Whereas you alluded to. They don't believe that they need. And so I'm kind of that I'm kind of that same boat as you. And so the way in which we market at, at organizations is different, which really is more in the form of insights. And it's more in the in the in the in the ability to be able to have kind of that that decision maker side of it. And how we interact with them has to be more collaborative. What we have to do, Ron you do in your business is you have to prove the ROI. I think I said on one of your other podcasts, businesses don't buy products and services, they buy a solution to a problem. So if you want to be great and your strategy would be built around something that says, I'm solving a problem you don't even know you have, right? So that, that would take more time than we kind of had here today. Whereas, like I said, like an accountant, I always know that I need one every year I know that I need that. Right. And so that's kind of the difference that that's the challenge that you have in yours, but it can be overcome.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we'll talk offline. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I appreciate that. Um, so once a business owner knows their competitive advantage, how do you start to align the sales process? Are there techniques, some better than others?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, uh, aligning, um, the sales technique is, is um, so once you've got to a point where you've done the competitive advantage of strategy, and we've kind of worked through that and you, now you know what's your competitive advantage. A lot of times, you know, and we've answered, can we deliver? So that's kind of a recap of, of, of where we have been, been. There's really four key ways in which you'll go about going after a business. And I think I alluded to it earlier, depends if it's a procurement area or depends if it's the mom and pop. But the, the four key areas are really, you're either going to focus your organization on being a relationship seller, uh, solution selling would be the second one, a value selling or a key account selling. So let me just, just, if you don't mind, if we've got the time, I'll just give you just kind of a brief overview, but let's just take key account selling. So the strategy typically around that is something where I am devoting additional resources to key accounts. Maybe that's people resource infrastructure. I kind of use the analogy concierge service, mm-hmm. right? those are key accounts. The relationship selling is something that we're all too familiar with, which is really the idea of I'm, I, I've got rapport, adaptability, I'm connecting with business owners and I'm having this type of relationship with them that is built on trust and those types of things. And you'll notice that they can kind of intertwine sometimes. Solution selling, is really, um, really kind of the idea of if I'm going into an organization and you might be a bit this, I don't know this yet, but you're going in to solve that problem. And what you're doing is trying to make an idea of here's a problem that you have, and you're in their case they don't maybe know they have, and you're trying to find a solution that intersects at that problem, it, it, right? That intersects there, and then your solution is the idea of what actually fixes that, either saves or loses. And then the last one is value selling, which is probably the most misunderstood one. But value selling is really the idea of you're taking the cost of your products and you're adding something above that, that the buyer perceives as value. And so those are the four areas. And and sometimes they'll blend together around a little bit but most often you have to have some main core strategy because it's not the same sales training. It's not the same process. It's totally different. And so knowing how to deliver that is very key.
0: So for our listeners, we've got about five minutes or a little more. I don't know if we have time. You be the judge. I'd like to take each one, give an example of each one. What is each type of uh, let's say a manufacturer. Uh, they, they make widgets as opposed to um, an insurance salesman, maybe sells life and health insurance or car insurance. Yeah. What does each one look like? How you do know. they, what works for them and how do they know?
1: Yeah. So uh, if you wanted examples of, and that can vary within industries, but if we want to stay a little bit more general in that sense, a lot of times like your insurance salesman, uh, bankers uh, in in the banking world will typically go along the lines of relationship selling, which is the idea of I'm connecting, I'm getting in to know your business a little bit. And they'll also fall into the category sometimes of solution selling. So solution selling is the idea of, I know what your problem is, and so now I've sold a solution. And that could be a myriad, that could be widgets, that could be be life insurance in some case, it just depends. Because life insurance, you have multiple products and what's the solution for that? Key accounts simply run, it would be like your concierge type service, by and large for the most part. And a lot of times you'll see, yeah, it could be in manufacturing a little bit, Uh, it could be in finance, but you've got individuals that are key um, larger accounts. You've heard Pareto's law, the Mm 80-20, right? And so the the, the 20% of the customers make 80% of the revenue, those might be a key account strategy that one might employ. And then lastly, value is something that I think a lot of people think they are, but they really aren't. And you'll see that a lot in um, like like equipment sales, you'll see that in manual, you mentioned manufacturing, where I'm trying to sell a product or a process, but I have to understand the total cost ownership and what the ROI and how that thing creates value for that organization. And so those are kind of some quick examples.
0: So you mentioned it just a minute ago, selling value. Is this what most businesses do for selling strategy?
1: Yeah, I could, I could talk for a while on this. This is the mistake that people make, whether it's coupons, you know, you, value is, uh, forgive the analogy, but the word value in business is more overused than a public restroom. I mean, everybody, <laughs> thinks, everybody thinks that they provide value and they don't understand that value is not is is not just the fact that I discount a price, or I think that I give a lot more for what I charge, so I'm a value. That's not that's not the reality. I got great customer service, so I've got great value. That's not that's not it at all. What value is the idea of understanding how my product or service solves that solution, and what that company gets as a benefit. And so, if you'll indulge me just a few a few minutes, I don't want to go over if we don't have to. But I, if you really want to think about value, think about if I can give this analogy of Bob. Let's just say that Bob is a guy that works in a manufacturing plant in your town. And Bob runs the the equipment, let's call it the AS100 model, okay? So Bob has worked on this for five years. He knows the machine inside and out. He knows how to tweak things on there to get more production out of it than anybody. That Bob is just, He's the man when it comes to running this piece of equipment, okay? Now take Bob out, Ron. And this is a power, this, this cements the entire process of value selling, in my opinion, is take Bob out and put him into a sales role where he's selling to manufacturers of that size and he's selling the AS100. And that is how you get salespeople that are out there creating value. Because what I'll tell you is gifted of a salesperson I am or the people that I that I, that I I train, if I was to go head to head in that type of environment, selling the AS100, Bob is going to eat my lunch every day of the week and twice on Sunday, right? Because I can't compete with that. I'm gonna to go to a business and I'm going to sell, I'm really gonna sell the idea of, okay, here's the AS100, it's $1,000, right? And I can help you get, let's say $1,300 of productivity, Mm -hmm. Bob is going to come in and say, look, I'm going to sell you the AS100, but it's 1,100. So it's more than Larry, but I'm going to show you how to get $2,100 worth of productivity out of it. That my friend is how you sell value. And the only way you know how to sell value is if you understand that client's business. And so when you think about it, again, I could talk for days on this, but the, the idea is think about how costly that is and for an organization to commit to value selling because it takes a whole lot more work. Obviously, in this fun example, you can't – most salespeople aren't going to go work on, as an example, a machine for five years to go out and sell it, right? But, right? but acquiring that knowledge and being able to do that, you'll outsell some of the best, fastest-talking people in – and all of it because you're bringing something of value, and you're showing them how to get that above and beyond. Excellent, excellent. Yeah.
0: Well, we've uh, we've just got a few minutes left. Um, let's pick up on that when we come back to part four. We, we can expand on that. I want to finish with you wrote the the book Walk the Sales Plank. I mentioned it earlier, and when I read it, it felt like value selling. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. You ran on very, very, stu- so, so the, um, the idea of the genesis of walk the sales plank, is kind of like Bob, but not ever, like I said, not everybody can go in and sell equipment for five years and then, then go out and sell that because not only is that feasible, but the AS 100 in our example would probably be now it's the AS 200. So Bob, so the idea of, of walk the sales plank was really designed that the value that we create above and beyond the, the, the products like Bob was doing is us. And it's the knowledge and insights that we bring to the client when we're talking about trends and things that are affecting their business. Now I start to separate in a very commoditized world. I start to separate from that individual. So it does look, feel, and smell a lot like value selling rod, which was the the whole idea, yeah.
0: Excellent. I'm gonna have to cut us off. I uh, I want to thank our listeners and viewers for being with us. And I certainly want to thank you, Larry. This has been part three in uh, defining your dream client's voice, defining the sound of your dream client's voice. I may have to, I don't know, write this down and put it. <laughs> of you. Um, it's been an excellent time being with you, Larry. We're going to work on, on four just to wrap everything up and, uh, and put it all together for you. The uh, information playground comes to you in a variety of ways. I love, uh, I love listeners who catch us on WVLP. That's a local radio station, FM radio station in Valparaiso, Indiana. They do a lot in the community. Check out WVLP.org and you'll see what I'm talking about. Um, Also, you can be part of the, uh, part of the solution as they are in Valparaiso. You can find us on demand on just about any of the podcasts, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or you can find us on YouTube all under the information playground. I'm Ron Bush. I own Ron Bush Consulting and I hope you check us out, ronbushconsulting.com. Please do check Larry out at boilingfrogdevelopment.com. Um, he's got some, uh, some materials that you can download at no cost, at least not to you. They're costing cost time and knowledge, but, uh, but join us next time. Um, I think that uh, if you miss part one and two, go back and see them, or if there's something that, uh, that we referred to, go back and listen to them. I think this is one of those, uh, those series that you'll benefit from, uh, from being a part of and listening to over and over again. So thanks for being with us. This is Ron Bush signing off.